This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, hello, leavers, believers, like me, hearts on your sleevers. Welcome to Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya, and I'm really glad that you decided to join us today because we are going for a swim through the psyche of Hillsong and the individuals within it. But we're not starting there. This was actually recorded a couple of weeks ago for you, but due to an unfortunate accident with my MacBook, we had to spend some time apart and we're now back together. So that's why there have been some audio problems and some uploading problems and some other problems that I don't want to talk about ever again. It's just been such an interesting week to start this conversation pick it up again on narcissism and narcissistic personality disorder because we have had the grand poobahs of narcissism just right through the media this week. Global senior narcissist Brian Houston ran a live that was pre-recorded and the global senior enabler, she was defending her husband all the way up and down the driveway on TV. So We have some fresh examples to uh, look at. Now, trying to make sense out of a Houston confession, apology, explanation is like trying to dig up all those eggs out of a Taylor Swift album. And funnily enough, they're not that different. If you look at the lyrics of Taylor Swift 
and you look at the ideology of Hillsong, it's all about narcissism and people getting exploited and then having to recover from that. And I think somehow she's very cleverly tapped into middle American evangelicalism. It's, it's really smart stuff. In case you didn't realize, Brian has been doing this all by himself. These are his ideas. He's the one creating events. He's the one pressing publish on Facebook. No one's telling him what to do. So it should be an interesting month. The court dates have been set for the 2nd of December to the 22nd of this year. Brian will go to court for the charge of concealing a serious indictable offence, that being his father's sexual abuse of children. So yeah, I'm fairly obsessed with all of these perspectives on narcissism, um, cluster B personalities, people without empathy who are willing to exploit other people and feel nothing about it. And I remember doing a course about 15 years ago with a psychologist uh, and she explained that empathy is part of the building blocks of personality and if you don't get it between two and four years old, you're never going to get it. If you can't figure out by four years old that hitting that other kid over there makes him cry and it's upset him and, and that's not good, you're, you're never going to get that. It, it's just not going to be part of your personality. And this stuff just so directly relates to the trauma and the recovery from the religious abuse, the spiritual abuse that takes place in churches like Hillsong. These people just don't care. So because it's such a massive issue and it causes people trauma and there's you know, all kinds of manifestations of that. Um, it's huge. So we're going to start with James, who is a mental health professional. You have heard him on case notes before. We're just going to go through the medical model, the clinical perspective of narcissistic personality disorder and the traits. Please don't get upset with me. This is not the only perspective we will look at, but it's a pretty clear start, I thought. And James has got such a lovely way of articulating things and, you know, 30 years of experience to back it up. So if you're not Australian and you don't know what a DAG is, you sure will by the end of this episode. I'll have a look at the social media. So welcome to season three, because just today I decided season three, season two has gone on for too long. Um, I think we're up to 60 something episodes, so it's probably time for season three. So I thought this would be a good place to kick off. Here's me and James talking narcissism in An Affable Dad. So James, you and I have had a lot of these conversations already. I'm struggling to get my head around a lot of these concepts, or maybe it's my heart or something. No, it's there's just so much here, and there's this word narcissist that gets bandied around everywhere. People get calling other people narcissists and Instagram's full of narcissists and, you know, and, you know, this two, two cent kind of pop psychology stuff as well. So it is quite a serious issue, though. It's a very real thing. And because you've been a mental health professional for 30 years and you would have seen it all, I'm super grateful to you for coming along and, and trying to unpick this from a clinical perspective. I, you know, and especially in light of, you know, what leaders do, what people with power do and 
what we've seen religious leaders do, it seems endemic in human nature that, you know, there's some really powerful leader arises and exploits everybody else. And I, I don't know the answers, but I think it'd be great if we could talk about, you know, what the what the problem is and kind of how to identify it. So thank you, thank you. What what is narcissism? What's a narcissist? Thanks, Tanya. Yeah, well, I think we've spoken in a previous conversation about the I mean the mythological basis for <laughs> narcissism. Narcissus, the character in Greek, Greek mythology who fell in love with his own reflection or was enamored with his own reflection. And so there tends to be this idea that it's the narcissist is someone who is in love with himself or loves himself. But it goes much deeper than that. It's not really so much about self-love and self-worth and self-adoration. It's more about overinflated sense of self, sense of entitlement. Okay. Grandiosity and a lack of empathy. And we're talking to the nth degree, to the degree where it's part of their personality makeup, a maladaptive personality structure, and not just sort of some of the traits or some of the features. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we're, we can all be, you know, rather self-entitled or think that we're right or at certain times doesn't necessarily mean we are or that we're, we're hung up on it. So those terms for us, please. Like what, what's grandiosity? Well, I suppose in the sense of the narcissist, grandiosity would be that way overinflated sense of the person's self-importance mm -hmm. of you know how brilliant they are, how above others they are, that maybe others are inferior to them or less deserving than than them. They have a way overinflated sense of their own self-importance. I mean, do we know where this comes from? Is it from spoiling your child too much? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it can be personality theory and, you know, the study of disorders of personality. It's a, it's really interesting. It's a deep mire and it, well, questions just lead to questions. I found in my own study and practice, the more I read, the more questions I have, mm -hmm. the more I want to know, the, you know, the more, the more self-reflective and self-critical you come and think, oh my God, I hope I'm not one of these. Please, God, right. don't let me. But you still do that too. It's funny. I mean, when you talk about a personality disorder, how's that different from a mental illness? Like, and sure. Let's go back to, you know, what is personality? And I guess it's one of those questions that gets answered with other questions. It's how do you separate the person from their personality? It's this, mm. it's this invisible component of this bag of flesh and bones and blood and muck and whatever. Mm. It's, the, it's the, actual, the actual person underneath it all, no matter what they look like, how they perceive themselves, how they perceive the world, others, how they treat others, what they feel you know, emotionally, capacity for empathy, all of those sort of things. So it's kind of the invisible qualities of the person, you know, what defines them and how they perceive others in the world. That's the, the James <laughs> lay definition, yeah, paraphrase. Okay, so then when we talk about personality disorder, we're talking about the structure, the structure of a personality that's very scarred or very maladaptive and it's characterized by a lot of quite negative traits in how they perceive themselves how they perceive others how they treat others their okay. view of the world and then you know when we look at personality disorders the the dsm diagnostic and statistical manual for the classification of mental disorders the american psychiatric association publication we're at version five we've got to look at 
what are the general criteria for personality disorders full stop what are the basic criteria and then we start getting into the nitty-gritties of specific individual ones they're broken down into clusters of personality disorders or they were probably in previous versions of the dsm and when we start looking at say the narcissistic personality disorder it's kind of in a cluster with a few other ones we call them cluster b disorders so we've got histrionic personality disorder narcissistic borderline and antisocial so we've got our narcissistic personality disorder in there okay so look, probably mm-hmm. just backtracking a bit personality disorders there pervasive enduring patterns of thinking perceiving reacting okay, and relating cause significant distress or functional impairment Okay, I mean, there's a belief when you say they feel entitled or they treat people badly, it's due to a, a, a way of thinking, yeah? I mean, they actually believe they're better than you or, or whatever it is that's going yeah, on. Yeah, they're better than you. Well, let me, I don't know, let me put myself in, in the position of a person with this tenure and, you know, I think I'm better than you. I know I'm better than you. I know more than you. You're <laughs> inferior to me. What you say or think doesn't count, you know? I mean, it's not just an annoying little sister or something or a little brother or something. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not just fighting over a car park at the shopping centre. No, no, it's pervasive. It's enduring. It's it's stable. Well, I mean, it's not stable, but it's consistent, persistent. Yep. Okay. Stable throughout the lifespan, yeah. The theory of what causes it, you know, is it genetic, you know, epigenetic? Is it the nature and nurture mm-hmm. or nurture, I should say? Is it stuff that happens to us in our formative years? Maybe all of that, but definitely I think, you know, what happens in early life seems to have a a profound influence on how how we develop, how our sense of self. Okay. Do people with personality disorders change? Like it cannot be, what kind of treatment is available for for change? I mean. Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I it's really tricky because it's not mental illness per se. And I think, look, there's probably a long way to go for the actual treatment of actual major mental illnesses. You know, you schizophrenia-type illnesses, bipolar mood disorders and, you know, the real serious major depressive disorders, et cetera. There's, they're generally pretty treatable and, you know, dependent on how acute or chronic the type of illness is. But when we're talking about treatment for personality disorders how do we treat how do we change a person the personality you know again that thing how do you separate the person from their personality well you kind of can't but then you can't just medicate a personality away yeah we know that certain things can happen that can change a personality what was it the case of phineas gage you know the guy who ended up with a Oh, you know, like a brain, severe brain injury and change in personality. People can have a severe oh. head injury and have a change in their personality. And I think that's something that's recognised these days. Okay. But for a person who's been exposed to severe emotional, psychological, sexual trauma, you know, you can't just medicate that away. Yeah. Okay, now look, you asked a question, can it be treated? I think that, you know, those that suffered complex trauma or have complex post-trauma kind of reactions or responses, severe emotion dysregulation, yes, 
they can recover. They can make change, one, if they want to, if they really want to work with a therapist or in the therapy for a protracted period of time, they can recover, they can make change. I remember when I was 35, a psychologist said to me, by this age, your personality is not going to change, but the only thing you can do now is work on managing relationships. <laughs> was that kind of helpful or hurtful to hear? I'd, well, you know, I could quit trying to be Madonna or whatever and kind of <laughs> you know, um, hoping I was going to end up, you know, there's always that kind of, but in terms of, so, I mean, I'm guessing that narcissists aren't the people that put their hands up for therapy and change, though. Yeah, well, this, is the, this is the difficulty, yeah. I think, you know, you, people with narcissistic personality disorders or antisocial personality disorders, psychopaths, sociopaths, yeah. they won't be the first to recognise that they need help, they need change, they need therapy. And, you know, what we commonly see with people within can I abbreviate it to NPD, narcissism, oh. disorder? We're stupid, you know, like I, I could have so many letters after my name and so many years' experience in the field, but I'm a, I'm an idiot. I'm a servant, you know, to these people. We're, we're lower than them. Right. Anyone who tries to help them is pathetic or uh, just there for their amusement or whatever. So if there's no recognition of a need for change or a need to do yeah. something, yeah. then a person generally won't participate in it and that's where the downfall is there's no medication that can change them yeah. we can't medicate a personality away but I mean if someone had the I suppose the raw material the goods to be able to engage in therapy and modify behavior mm -hmm. they potentially could but then it comes down to motivation as well right so we've spoken about the grandiosity, the sense of self-importance, preoccupation with fantasies of their, about their success, their power, their brilliance, how smart they are, belief that they're special, unique, more important than others. They have a, a need for admiration. We've spoken about the sense of entitlement. But then there's mm -hmm. the propensity to exploit others, exploitative behaviour, use other people for their own gain. Things like, you know, intellectual theft, pinching others' ideas, claiming credit for others' work or actions. They can be particularly envious of others and they can also be arrogant and, and haughty. So, I mean, how does that work? So do they uh, come into your professional work? I mean, how do they behave when they're... Yeah, kind of, uh, when they come into uh, touch with the system, you know, yeah. what would bring them in touch with the system then? And what do you see, like, when you see a live one is kind of what I'm thinking. Because I think the thing that we, we all probably don't recognise quite so much is they don't have it all together. Uh, you know, there's a very well, fragile ego, a very fra fragile sense of yeah. self. And if they are hurt, if they are wronged, they can have extreme reactions. So they feel really entitled to everything and better than you, but still, what, envious of you and, and insecure? And mm -hmm. I mean, imagine, imagine you know, their same malevolent actions cause them to come unstuck, you know, get exposed or, I mean, in a, in a workplace, they stuff up a situation or they end up being disciplined or whatever the case may be. There can be dramatic reactions emotionally they sustain what's called the narcissistic injury 
And yeah. in those times, that's when they can present as, oh, they're depressed or because they you know, might start experiencing suicidal thinking okay. or acting suicidally. So, I mean, they're not coming into your field of view for NPD. They're coming in for something else, uh, poor me focused or, or? Yep, can be. Or they, or they, you know, they genuinely, not a proper term, but they genuinely have a mm -hmm. meltdown. You know, they mm -hmm. have a crisis. They have a this sort of adjustment disorder with, you know, whatever disturbances could be with anxiety or low mood or, you know, mixed disturbances of emotions and conduct. You know, so they might come in contact with the system and services due to the crisis okay. but then often we find when we're working with those individuals it becomes apparent there's other stuff going on you know? okay so if you can start to see it how do other people start to recognize it and i know that it, i read and i read and people don't for 25 30 40 years of marriage how do you kind of recognize it as you're starting to work with that are there some marked differences between the average person and this person who's got guess what I mean? Oh, de oh, definitely. I mean, you know, if you're in a relationship with someone, do they exploit? Do they abuse? And when I talk about abuse, it could be, you know, emotionally, um, mm -hmm. psychologically, mm -hmm. do they do they put the person, the other person down? Are they verbally critical and abusive? You know, do they convey empathy? Do they feel for the other person and put themselves out for the other person, not for any personal gain, just because okay. they don't want the other person to be feeling pain or suffering? It's not about them, you know? Because it's that lack of empathy thing, isn't it? Because if Yeah, yeah. Do they, they, do they always put themselves first? You know, do they, have they got a partner who, you know, maybe misses out or doesn't have a good life, but the, the person with the narcissistic kind of personality, that they don't want to miss out. They want to do all the things that they enjoy and make them feel good. And, you know, are they focused on their own their own self, their own life, their own needs, their own wants, and they don't give a stuff about the other person's? What do you do if you find yourself in a situation, be it at work, be it at home, be it at Christmas, I don't know, where you've realised that the other person that you're talking to will have to be whatever it is, doesn't care, has no empathy. You know, at work it can be really dangerous for people mm. um, because, you know, their their boss might be doing something illegal or unethical because they've got no empathy. They don't care if their subordinates get in trouble. They don't care if they're doing something illegal. So it's not always just easy as easy as walk out the door. Well, you know, how do you kind of deal with this behaviour? Good question because it can be really, really difficult to try and manage yourself in the situation. I think, look, they're not popular terms in the amongst the altruistic or the churchy sense, but self-protection and self-preservation are important. Yes. It's about limiting damage to you or, or, or others around others around you as well, other people who can be victimised. Can I give a, a case study? Please. So in a, a former working environment, a particular individual was referred into our service appeared to be depressed and, you know, profoundly suicidal and, you know, we had to respond to this family situation and um, the individual ended up being admitted to a psychiatric facility for a, for a time because they were just perceived to be too much at risk. Mm -hmm. But then what became apparent after a while was they really seemed to be meeting the criteria for an artistic individual. Now, they were claiming that they were being bullied at work and exploited and et cetera, et cetera, but 
with some investigation, it was discovered that they were they were the bully. They were causing significant harm in a workplace and the workplace was starting to take active steps to protect itself, the employees, and take some action against this individual. Anyway, look, it became very, very obvious with continued observation and interview and all of the rest of it. In the end, the our service, we had to get some specialist consultation on how to manage the individual and also how to conduct ourselves, you know, because if we're in a position of authority or I suppose sort of power in a way, we tend to want to use our professional stance and provide opinion and management and that type of thing. But when you're dealing with a person with a narcissistic personality disorder, it involves a different tact. And you've got to actually, in a way, play along with it to a degree in that you act like you're the humble servant. Don't lock horns with the person, right? Okay. Why not? But because all you're going to end up with is conflict or things going pear-shaped. And that's not really what you... You're not trying to prove that you're right and they're wrong. They're not going to see that. What you're trying to do is ensure that everyone else is okay and that you have a kind of adequate plan moving forwards for everyone's well-being and betterment. So I think that's the the tack you take. We have to be able to protect ourselves, recognise what's going on, recognise that we can't change the person. There's no point being right or trying to win an argument. What's the expression? Win the battle and lose the war. What did, yeah. what happened with this individual in the end? Did they? Well, look, they were eventually discharged from the facility and the service with an acknowledgement that they, you know, they could not be changed. They did not want to change. Right. Genuinely believe that they were being bullied or was that an act? to, I don't know, a performance of grandiosity. I'd... Yeah, look, there, you know, there was certainly fallout. A lot of staff were, I guess, you know, it hurts. It, it, it hurts our yeah. feelings. We do, we can get hurt in the process of trying to help other people. You're so really... then, okay. you know, the, then we need our own supervision and debriefing and try and learn from it as well. Because they're learn. cruel people, aren't they? I mean, they're quite nasty and cruel at times. Yes. A book that I found quite helpful called The sociopath next door <laughs> funny name but it's it's a good read it's not a an academic read but the lady who wrote it is a phd i think probably in psychology but she explores the concepts of empathy and conscience and then those that don't have them and then well what are the takeaways what can we do how can we be okay and she basically advocates for doing what you can to have a good life, the life that they cannot experience themselves. You know, they can't have the internal life that we can. I'm not going to battle. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. With the person, not try to get even, not try to get revenge. It's about getting to safety. 
for some people that'll mean leaving a relationship. If it's in a workplace, I suppose, trying to carefully mm -hmm. mobilise so that the law can't be broken when we're talking mm -hmm. harassment and discrimination and bullying, because that's generally how it plays out. And then being honest enough that if you can't change that, if you can't do anything about it, then you've got to work out, well, can I stay or will I, will I be harmed if I stay? Yeah, because yeah. sometimes these people can be very, very clever and very shrewd. You know, if you've got a, a manager who's abusing their position, they're enjoying harming other people and causing mayhem and sacking people and defaming people, intellectual theft. Yeah, it's it's scary stuff and for me it took a really long time to get my head around the idea that there are just these people who don't care yeah and even to the point where to a small degree to a larger degree they enjoy that power and they enjoy watching other people suffer under their control or at least having that power over people like a puppeteer sometimes mm. yeah that's that's true isn't it and institutions organizations are great places for some of these people to yeah do their dirty work in a way churches and, you know why is that why yeah for, look from what i've read and what i've observed they seem to be like theaters you know they seem to be places where oh. they can have their perceived needs met and do what they want to do and if it's about getting adulation and admiration and having power in like a hierarchy then a church can be a, a great environment. For... A perfect place. It wouldn't be any great stretch of the imagination then to classify somebody like Brian Houston as a narcissist. I, I mean, I'm obviously this isn't a replacement for, you know, a clinical diagnosis. But <laughs> yeah, uh, well, maybe... one one asks the questions, don't they? <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it sounds like so many of. Um, I mean, it sounds like so many people in middle management, but on those more extreme levels, I mean, the combination of the means, the motive and the opportunity kind of thing, like uh, obviously someone like that had a lot of neglect and a lot of problems going on in childhood and there's got to be chunks missing out mm. of that development. But what mm. we've seen is just global grandiosity and, you know, all of the entitlement and all of that, need for admiration all of that kind of stuff but it's worked so it's it's yeah. i'm mused over these what, things when their fragile egos go out and then they actually get rewarded and told that yeah you are great you are entitled you're divinely appointed problem is with churches you know in my opinion there's so much emphasis on leadership 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 I mean, yeah, they're happy to have the servants and the slaves and all of the rest of it, but really, you know, constantly heard messages about leadership and, you know, what is it, God's man or woman or the mm. apostle or the this, that or the other. There's this kind of, it creates this aspirational system where, yeah. you know, we work around humble servants, humble disciples are, <laughs> are to aspire to leadership, to being, you know, yeah. God's God's man for this moment and all this sort of stuff. Look, I think it's all overrated. I think it's 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 rubbish, quite frankly. I mean, it's and if you have a number of these personalities or personality disorders in the same place in a hierarchy which privileges narcissists, 
Tanya, I was going to say, look, I think the um, churches are right pickings for these people. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, Christians are good at mistaking good character. You know, the, like if someone turns up on the scene and they appear to have choleric drive and charisma and yeah. extroversion and, and whatever else, you know, it's perceived to be leadership potential. But it may not be, you know, because who can really see the motivators underneath what a person really cares about, what really drives them, what really orders how they live their life. You know, the quiet achiever, the person who just silently gets about helping and being kind and caring, they're not necessarily noticed, but those who promote and self-promote often are. Now, you said what happens when you get a bunch of narcissists in leadership. Well, if they're not locking horns with each other, they're all... um, trying to climb to the top and they're they're trying to get other people to do their work for them, you know, whilst, you know, maybe sipping lattes, they've been, you know, pounding the desk and ordering their team or their subordinates to be working harder or, you know, slave driving them. You know, they they might have a team that are quite innovative people or creative and they'll put forward their ideas and then that narcissistic leader quite happily takes those ideas for their own and, gets the credit and the, the kickbacks. And we hear that time and time again. There's so much borrowing and keepings. And, you know, I had someone write to me once who said they stole my song and they split it up in three and kept all the profits. Like it's <laughs> rampant. What kind of a culture then is in a place where everybody is, you know, having these fantasies about greatness and calling it a vision? I mean, it's always been a question for me. Why did my Salvation Army boss get a house and a car, but the homeless people that we were looking after in the refuge who talked about God? Do you know what I mean? They, oh, I do. It's really congruent, isn't it? called so, psychotic. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. What happens, the more I look at places like Hillsong, it's not just the personality of the leader. It's the way the whole place is run, I guess, is exploitative mm. and delusional but then to an extent there's been that success hasn't there on the surface but the the collateral has been the human collateral has been oh for sure and i mean you know look i suppose back prior to all the covid stuff you know when they had their thousands of people rocking up each day and you know come along and join the throng it all appeared to be uh, oh wow you know look how many there are at successful there's a you know the the message that's being preached it's kind of the promise of a, mm. a better life a perfect life there's a, a hell of a lot of marketing going on i mean we've got branding we've we've got the hillsong brand above any above mm. everything else uh, even above jesus really or god or anything it's the hillsong <laughs> brand the the hillsong lifestyle if you do this that and the other you can have this but in reality it's only those at the in the upper echelons that are living the dream at the expense of everyone else who is funding the dream for them. We're all being peddled the dream, but all we're doing is working to provide the dream for those at the top. But as a group, the group thinks it's better than everybody else and is entitled to the government funding and is entitled to things that people aren't. I'm just wondering if that's a, can a church have a personality disorder? (laughs) It's a really good question. And... uh, Probably an organisation 
can't uh, does an organization have a personality <laughs> there was a really good movie that came out some years ago called the corporation it's a movie yeah. length yeah. documentary and they relate the dsm criteria for antisocial personality disorder psychopath right. to the corporation or the organization in that an organization doesn't have empathy an organization doesn't mm. have liability an organization can exploit an organization can do harm and not care okay. so it, it was a really interesting comparison but the organization the corporation has a way of protecting itself from vulnerability from liability from litigation it's they're prepared to go to like i don't know big tobacco and those asbestos companies and stuff like that yeah just when a church becomes a corporation or it becomes incorporated, it becomes, in effect, a person. A legal person. Yeah, yeah, legal, a legal person, that's right. And really? They, and they, yeah, yeah. Well, it's worth looking into. I mean, but they can also shift and limit liability when right. they stuff up or cause harm, yeah. You know, Brian Houston has recently posted, he, there's a court case looming, pray for me, so the shepherd has gone to the sheep and asked for what you know what they've got left or for the support or i don't know to guide his way or put in a good word for him or something i have my own theories it would be stressful for anybody who was charged last august to only be going to trial now that's i believe largely to do with the delays with the the pandemic and the court yeah. Stuff. yeah you know what do you think he's going through in the lead up to a trial in December. And how do you think he'll manage this trial? Uh, you know, the, the Royal Commission was a place where they just, that you know, so few of those men were able to handle not being in control or being told to answer questions. They're usually the ones that, you know, they're usually the ones given the questions. So, you know, what I just sense this real build up. There's mm. been so much, sorry, there's been so many other things like the resignation from Hillsong and, you know, these guys, these Houstons don't know where they're going next exactly. So, you know, it's not just this trial if they have the backing of, you know, their church, but they don't. So I'm, I'm wondering what you might foresee is going to happen over the next few months. Well, probably just taking one step back, the thing that's really spoken to me mm. through this whole thing is... Yeah, it's like you said, suddenly they're the ones having to give account, answer questions, the loss of perceived power. But the thing that really speaks volume is, oh, poor me, poor me, pray for me, pray for us. But a lack of focus, a lack of emphasis on the fact that this is about people who have been victimised and systems have enabled it and covered it up. Not one word for victims yet. It's been 20, 20 years. Yeah. Not... Real, well, you know, there have been some side statements, but it's always been with a but at the end. But oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, the Houstons have lost their perch, their position. But then, you know, we've seen on social media the gobbledygook that they've been posting continuously mm. whilst they've been in, you know, Mexico and Italy and all of the rest of it, mm. suffering for Christ during this whole process. Again, it hasn't, nothing's been said about the victims and the damage that's been done. It's all been about pray for us, poor us, God's got a plan, God will restore us, mm -hmm. yabbity, yabbity, yabbity. So, attack, yeah. Mm, I look, 
who who knows? There's court what, coming up. What's he going to well, do with that pressure? Oh, yeah, travel, booze, benzos, seek adulation and support from the sicker pants. I don't really know. Yeah, <laughs> I just wonder what they do do when that's all at sort of risk, everything that, you know, being of value and stuff has been at risk. Yeah. But, you, you know, you mentioned before, Tanya, what would it be like growing up in – I've wondered about – him, you know, I mean, growing up with a father who was a cunning, crafty, and malevolent pedophile, yes, a, a serial repeat offender, a recidivist. I've asked the question, you know, just that kind of hypothetical mm. what would the personality, what would the person be like who's grown up in that, you know, moment? And it was hellfire and brimstone as well. And yeah, his father, Frank, had you know, persistent psychotic breakdowns and was hospitalised for long periods of time with hallucinations and delusions, which his mother wrote about in a book called Being Frank. So, you know, it's a, it's out of their own mouths. And it sounds like an incredibly oppressive and terrifying environment. Anyway, without, you know, the dynamics of that kind of environment, even aside from the actual acts of abuse against children, it, the, the metamorphosis the, of Brian over the years has been quite fascinating, hasn't it? I mean, go back a couple of decades, a few decades, he was kind of a, a bit a bit of a dag, you know, a sort of an affable dag and a bit goofy and all that sort of stuff. But then with the Hills Christian Life Centre, you know, morphing into Hillsong and everything, there's obviously been the stylist's influence and the you know, the business mentor influence and the, the marketing and all that type of thing. It seems like, you know, him and his wife were kind of manufactured in a way into uh, to different entities. It's another question. Was that that affable kind of doofusy bumbling, I don't know what's going on, I'm just some god. You know, that's been very effective when you come, mm. what did mm. you know about Carl Lentz? Oh, I don't know, I'm just some guy in australia yeah so i wonder if that was a deliberate act from the start i mean he's not hiding einstein there but whether the the entitlement and the arrogance and stuff is that something that can be nurtured in an environment and make narcissism bloom yeah probably just my my own opinion you know i'm happy to well bobby was very quiet bobby was very on the side, you know, she she didn't say boodle goose back in the day, as you know, from my memory. So where does this all come from? And, you know, can you grow one in a church? Like, is that how it works? Just no, question. <laughs> I think I think maybe we're of the same opinion there. I think that probably if, if the raw goods are there, the raw material, then okay. put, put them in the right in the right petri dish, then, yeah, it probably can be grown. You know, this, <laughs> what's it? It's, here's, a, here's a term, it's teratogenesis, it's the, the creation of a monster. It's very interesting, particularly because when Bobby and Brian, for example, right, because they've put themselves forward as examples, so I'm going to use them as examples, they were still quite young. She was 14 when she met him, entered that kind of family environment, and he was 17 or something like that. So they were still developing when they entered this system of fantasy and and entitlement and, and religious kind of grandiose. I, mean, I don't know. Another interesting thing, another, say so one concept leads to another. Imagine you've got the, the theory of personality, <laughs> personality disorder. And look, really, I think a personality style or structure hasn't fully emerged in the teen years. It's kind of in the 20s and beyond. 
It really does. But then imagine you've yeah. got individual personality, but then you've got yeah. that whole kind of cult-like environment. Look, let's yeah. face it. I mean, most of these churches, they are cult-like or cult, that out-and-out cults. So Why do you use the word cult? I mean, you're a mental health professional. Why do you use the word cult so heavily there? Yeah. Oh, look, I think probably now I'm resigned to the fact that Hillsong is a cult and plenty of churches are because they clearly display cult-like behaviours and characteristics. So my opinion is that if, if they display, if they act, mm. if they live mm. the criteria of what makes a cult a cult, then they're a cult. So, uh, you know, we know some of these these things are overemphasis on, on a leader. They're mm -hmm. the only way to salvation. Mind control or, you know, the best way forward is only via them. Mm -hmm. Everywhere else is no good, less superior, doesn't have salvation. They ostracise people from their families and friends. They exploit them. They take their money. They work them hard. If you don't toe the line with them, you'll be excommunicated. Use of guilt. I mean, you know, long list of... But that's the, are the same criteria as you've just listed pretty much for a narcissistic personality disorder, a yeah. cult. Uh, yeah, that lack of empathy stuff is what you see in sex offenders because yeah right? so it's all same 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 and so uh -huh. imagine this then have the narcissistic personality type or the emerging narcissistic personality oh. type and place them in the narcissistic institution oh bingo and maybe mm -hmm. that's how they separate out maybe that's how the this particular cream rises to the top because, you know, before too long, everybody's put in a situation where some will display empathy and might be horrified or distressed or concerned or something. And those mm. without just aren't. And they, maybe they signal each other. I don't know. And then those with a conscience, those with yeah. empathy, those who can't tolerate injustice are either booted out or they, or they just quietly sort of walk away and think, no, I can't participate yeah. in this. And you know, disappear into obscurity or bliss elsewhere. Right, okay. and yeah. then that, those other personalities might, um, without empathy, might be advanced. I'm yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm just wondering if Bible college is just a, an opportunity to cull out personalities, really, so they know who's going to get the best promotion. Yeah, yeah, probably. I, I think, you know, the, the Hillsong College sort of has a, creates a, an arsenal of servants, and then, yeah, there are those that, do rise up through mm. the ranks. Mm. But, the, you know, the other things that are there as well are the, the charisma and the hype and the adrenaline and the appealing to the emotions. So I think these are the things that are might quite mm. opiate in their um, impact. You know, people keep coming back. Yes. People keep hanging on to the dream or the delusion and because it appeals to the senses. You've got people who look like they've got it all together when they're strutting around on a platform. They can convey that charisma. And people, I mean, I've done it myself in the past, you know, we mistake charisma for character. Yeah, yeah. And some of them are fantastic. Look at Carl Lentz. Like he can, I mean, that is, a, I'm not here. Mm, mm. But what a performance and, and how captivating and fantastic. Yeah, it's, yeah. Mind-boggling, wasn't it? And, you know, he had the the muscles and, mm. the, the, you know, the doorly expensive clothes, yeah. Fantastic orator. It can be so, so powerful. It is all really quite trite and flippant and glib, though, isn't it? You know, the, a lot of the stuff that was said, there, 
It was very superficial. There wasn't necessarily a lot of meat. It might have appealed to the senses and the emotions, but really any real stuff of substance, you know, like deep spiritual truths or, you know, real challenges. Yeah, people yeah. will come to the front, people will stick the dough in the, the sorry, the, you know, the money in the bucket or yeah. actually we weren't allowed to call them buckets. <laughs> they they changed their name some years ago. They had to be called something else. We weren't allowed to refer to the stuff in the shop as merchandise. It had to be resource or resources. <laughs> That's right. And the, and the offering buckets weren't allowed to be called. <laughs> You've given us so much to think about. Thank you. Oh, mutual yeah. conversation. <laughs> we got to do more of this. When you you'll you'll talk to us soon about more, yeah? Because there's oh, happily, Tanya. Yeah, yeah. Certainly enjoy these discussions. It gets me thinking too. That's for sure. Yeah, wonderful. It's so important. Thank you because uh, you know they're not eccentricities. They're not kind of character flaws. They can be really damaging, destructive. Mm -hmm. People have. Yeah, they cause. I guess that's one of the key fundamental diagnostic criteria is you know they cause they can cause distress for the individual but they cause a lot of distress for others as well yeah uh, we'll try and steer clear thank you thanks tanya nice talk nice talking to you bye 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 a huge thank you to james for all that wisdom and information it's so, so helpful to understand what the medical model is, what psychiatrists are looking at and diagnosing and, you know, what the real terms actually mean. We've had a lot of fascinating conversations and I'm hoping we can bring more of them to you, looking more at culture and environment and how that affects people's mental health directly, indirectly. Yeah, it's some fascinating stuff. If you want to start looking up more, I've found some people on YouTube really helpful. Dr. Ramani, R-A-M-A-N-I, has so many short clips on really specific areas about this and it's just been infinitely helpful. Elizabeth Shaw is another one, S-H-A-W. Richard Grannon is great. Um, Dr. Sam Vanken, I've been watching for years and years. He's a psychiatrist that is a malignant narcissist and he speaks about that quite freely and so I asked him to come on the show on Instagram and he blocked me and it's a good result. Thank you so much to all of you for all of the support, of course to the patrons for really making things happen. If you like this podcast, if it's doing something for you, please stop by Patreon for leaving Hillsong or the PayPal my precious MacBooks little hospitalization was a bunch of hundreds that I just didn't um wow wasn't expecting and if it hadn't been for the divine intervention of my wonderful producer Kimberly we wouldn't all be sitting right here now actually so yeah if you can please do there's a lot behind running this thing send us a message send me some feedback so I know you know what you like what you want more of, what you want less of. There is a lot coming up with the trial. Trials and tribulations. Hmm. And some really exciting interviews coming up, which I can't tell you about because that's the way this whole thing works. So just know that the names will start to be 
recognisable in the future over the coming uh, few months. So thank you as always for the support, for the messages, for the feedback. Please check with Facebook and Instagram because that's where most of the communications are taking place. Going to start doing a Q&A on Instagram. I just figured out like that sticker thing. I couldn't anyway. Um, and Grace wants to be a part of that as well. So there's lots to look forward to. In the meantime, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to other people. And keep leaving Hillsong and we'll talk soon. Bye. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.